Before we get started this month, I would like to apologize for my lateness on this episode. We were going to have a different movie discussion for this month, but due to recent events, we decided to postpone the launch of that movie. Apparently, right now, in March of 2022, it's not a good time to talk about Dr. Strangelove. Who would have thought? Anyway, we are going to shelve that episode for now and come back to it at some later date. But for now, we hope you enjoy Shaun of the Dead. Longbox Crusade presents monthly Monday Movie Muckabout because the podcasting world needs another movie review show. I am Rick, also known as Not Jeff from Jeff and Rick Presents, and I love movies. I am a movie lover. I go out and I find other movie lovers so we can talk about movies because I've got a big collection of movies and I know other people have big collections and I get really surprised when I talk to somebody and they haven't seen a movie that is like awesome. So I try to get them to come on my show and we talk about it. That's the, what the show is about. That's all we do here. And this time, I have got Connor Nielsen. And who is Connor Nielsen? Well, he's the twin brother of the guy who sells me my comic books. So that tells you a lot, I know. But I think he can tell us a little bit more about himself. How are you doing, Connor? Yeah, very, very well. Uh, it's a very nice Thursday. Is it Thursday? I, I've lost track of days. But yeah, no, I'm doing, I'm doing uh, very well. I also love movies a lot. And I talk about them on the internet uh, quite frequently. So... I'm excited to do this. Very cool. Very cool. I'm glad to have you here. I know that I've talked to your brother a few times about the show, and he said that both him and you like watching movies. And one time I was lucky enough to run into you at the store, and we sat there talking for quite a while about movies and comics and comics and movies. And so I am very excited to have you here. What is your background with watching movies? Like, what type of genres do you watch normally? So the first movie I can ever recall watching is the 1966 Batman film, which to this day, I am an ardent defender of. If you can't enjoy that movie, then you don't know how to have fun watching a movie. I don't think people take that stuff way too seriously. We got our Batman Begins. We got our, we got our Nolan trilogy. We got our Batman versus Superman and all the Burton Schumacher stuff. We're allowed to have a little camp and it's great camp. But then... During elementary school, I didn't watch like Disney films. Uh, I primarily, my brother and I watched through all of the Godzilla films and the James Bond films. So those are like the two franchises that we really got into. And then of course, you know, I was born in 95. So throughout my childhood was the golden age of Pixar. So whenever I went to the theater, it was usually just to watch a Pixar film. And then I remember in middle school, I remember a lot of people were familiar with films that I just hadn't seen, but I'd heard of. I remember the two, for whatever reason, it was it was three films that I just heard people talk about regularly. And one of them makes sense. It was Ghostbusters. I hadn't seen Ghostbusters. And I actually hadn't seen Ghostbusters until 2016 because my dad hates Ghostbusters for some reason. And uh, and so what? I, I, I know it's like <laughs> he was born in 66. I don't know. Maybe it was just a little past his interest or something. I don't, I don't know. But the other two were for whatever reason, I thought, oh, everybody, everyone talks about Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy must be this great classic comedy. And 
that's actually how me getting into movies started was I rented Tommy Boy and watched it with my mom. Now, I, I love me some Tommy Boy, don't get me wrong, but it is more of like a niche 90s thing. And then the other one was Wayne's World, which I do contend is maybe the funniest film that's ever been made. And from there, I kind of got more into watching like Siskel and Ebert uploads on YouTube and so and kind of educating myself on what was really going on. And I had the in high school, I was kind of insufferable. I had like I, I did some like education on what were supposed to be the you know the big movies you needed to watch, but I didn't actually watch any of them. I was aware of what was coming out and what you had to like, but I didn't actually watch any of that. But then I remember <laughs> in 2010 I saw Inception, and that like made me want to be a filmmaker. I guess I should also jump back a little bit as well and say that growing up I was also like gigantic into Star Wars. But I think that kind of goes without saying. <laughs> if you uh, <laughs> if you're a kind of a nerd. And you're like, you know, a boy growing up, you usually like Star Wars. And so, you know, I was growing up and throughout my less than 10 year old childhood, I was really into the prequels. I've never liked Attack of the Clones, but I was really into the prequels aside from Attack of the Clones as a kid. And so when it did come to like, Star Wars was like that franchise that like even before Godzilla, even before James Bond, I liked Star Wars. And then Inception was like that movie that made me like, oh, I want to make movies. Like, this is what I want to do. This is like, like blowing my mind. I, I had that the experience that a lot of people like just like five, maybe 10 years older than me had with like the Matrix with Inception. Yep. And so over the years, I have, uh, I kind of gone through different like avenues, like during like high school, I was really into Christopher Nolan. I think a lot of people like my age with my background were as I got into like, you know, college, I watched some Richard Linklater movies. I really like his work. Like Boyhood nice. was, I know there's mm -hmm. a bit of a meme with Boyhood of, oh, it's only good because it took 12 years to make. But like that was, there's something you can't take away from yourself and be objective about. It's like, I'm the same age as that kid. And that movie like kind of taught mm -hmm. me empathy and like, oh, there are different people who are like you, but they're not. And and so that was like, that, from there I watched, you know, his like Before Sunrise, Before Sunset and Days and Confused and all those great films. And then I got into like David Lynch because I, I, I really like dreams. And, uh, and so like, I, I, I watched Twin Peaks and that was one of those like, whoa, this is like legit. And then I also should say, I'm a big fan of like Alfred Hitchcock. So when it comes mm -hmm. to like what I like, specific genres i'm into i really like science fiction i don't know I, I i like i try to be open to everything but i found that i really like teen melodramas when they're done really well studio ghibli like whisper of the heart <laughs> ocean waves yes i mean their best film is princess mononoke but whisper of the heart and the ocean waves are not far behind that all right i i love those i i usually like it when a when a filmmaker will come on in and like do something crazy with a genre that you're not really expecting I don't know if you've seen, like, it's really old. It's called Sunrise. It's a film from the late 20s by F.W. Murnau, who made, like, Nosferatu and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I may not have seen it, but I am familiar about it. Yes. It's just a romance film, but it's done with mm -hmm. a German expressionist style that is so... It changes that whole film. I fell in love with that movie immediately because you're watching it and you think you're watching one thing and then it just becomes something else entirely. And I feel like it's like a Rosetta Stone. Like, universal monster movies weren't being made yet, but there's like the cinematic language that would go on to influence it. And before Hitchcock was really making movies and it was mm -hmm. before film noir and it's before like screwball comedy and it's before like Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire dancing musicals and like all of that stuff's just in there. And it just it doesn't even like try to follow convention. It just is doing its own thing. And you're like, if I could make anything a third as, as this good, I will die a proud man. Like this, this is cool. And so I like, you know, seeing uh, Edgar Wright do his spin on, 
I'm excited for like last night in Soho. What's his horror movie going to look like? What's his like baby mm-hmm. driver? Like that's, that's like a, a genre of guy with car drives and he's involved. And he's trying to get out with like the mob and he meets a girl. Like that's like Nicholas winning reference drive and baby driver. And uh, I think mm-hmm. wild at heart, the David Lynch movie is a little bit like that too. And it's like, it's that traditional kind of formula that a filmmaker comes in and puts their fresh set of hands on and just kind of makes you think about it in a different way. And uh, also lastly, I love heist films. I really, really like heist movies. <laughs> I, I ask a nice, simple question. I get this barrage of an answer, which is great, which is great. This has been great. One of my biggest problems I have is, especially with somebody who I don't know that well, I get a list of the movies from them and I try to pick out, okay, what's going to be a great movie to talk about? And then I pick one. I'm like, oh, okay, I hope this is going to be good. And then I find out about the person and I almost wanted to jump away and say, okay, I'm, I've changed my mind on the movie I'm going to get you. But listening to you talk, I think I made a wise choice. And I think we're going to just dive into it right now. Are you ready for me to tell you what movie I want you to watch? Yes, I am ready. All right, excellent. You've already mentioned this director. So I don't think it's going to be too much of a surprise, but I'd like you to go back to 2004 and watch Shaun of the Dead, the horror comedy directed by Edgar Wright. (laughs) So you're like jumping up in the air and screaming and everything. And that's great. (laughs) Yes, I I have been meaning to get around to Shaun of the Dead for some time. It's one of those things where if I'm hanging out with my mom every so often and I'll say, hey, mom, what's up? And we talk movies, she'll she'll say, you've seen Shaun of the Dead, right? And I say, no. And she goes, what? And then anytime I see her afterwards, she forgets that I haven't seen Shaun of the Dead. Now, this is one of those things where I've I've really been meaning to watch this, and uh, I'm really happy you picked it. Well, excellent, excellent. And this, is, of course, it has Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, Kate Ashfield, Lucy Davis, and a whole bunch of other people. You say that your mom likes this movie, but what do you know about it? So I am familiar that it's... A, a, a zombie movie. I'm familiar that it is doing the thing that Edgar Wright likes to do, where it is simultaneously a parody of horror zombie movies, but also a really good zombie horror movie. And it does have heart and it does have, you know, a lot of emotions that it, it brings out of the audience, but it's also extremely funny. I know that Edgar Wright, he knows how to pick at conventions and tropes, but he also does love those conventions and tropes as well. So there's like an affection. That's that's what I understand about it. Your mom's been bugging you about this for so long. And I, it sounds like I should get her on the show as well. Why haven't you watched it? Why have you broken your poor mother's heart and not seen this film? A lot of it comes down to, I hadn't seen Dawn of the Dead until embarrassingly recently. I guess I shouldn't say that. Uh, The person who owns the distribution for that movie is a jerk and is making it so hard to get your hands on it. (laughs) And so I finally did get a watch Dawn of the Dead. And that movie like is like a 10 out of 10 perfect film. And I'm glad I finally got to watch it before I watched a movie called Shaun of the Dead. And so (laughs) I haven't watched Hot Fuzz. I haven't watched The World's End because I understand that there's sort of like a thematic kind of trilogy And I kind of do want to watch those in order. And so I do like Edgar Wright and I like zombie movies. I like Romero a lot. And now I feel like it's time. And over the last year, I've just realized it's probably time to watch these movies. So it's like your your timing could not be better. (laughs) Well, excellent. Excellent. I'm not going to waste any time with this then. I'm going to go let you watch this movie. And while you're doing that, we're going to let our audience go and watch the movie too. But for those of you that don't want to watch the movie, here is the trailer from 2004's Shaun of the Dead. Mm -hmm. 
you ever think that modern life is not for you? Do you do the same dead-end job every day? Is your love life dying on its feet? To a wonderful mum. Oh. Have you ever felt that you're turning into... Something in the world? A zombie? Maybe you're not alone. Pissed. Although no one official is prepared to comment, religious groups are calling it Judgment Day. It is vital that you stay in your home. Avoid all physical contact with the assailants. What's the plan? Bash him in the head, that seems to work out. Why have we got to go lizards? Because I love her. All right, gay. Okay. Do something! Right there. Uh, hold it there. And we are back. Now, I'm going to give a real quick synopsis of this silly little film called Shaun of the Dead, and then we'll get into talking about it. Shaun is around 30 years old. He's got this really easy dull life that consists of a job and an electronic store where he's just disrespected. He's also got a childlike messy best friend and roommate named Ed. And he goes to constant trips to his favorite bar. That's his life. Oh yeah, he also has an ex-girlfriend that really just wants him to grow up. Then zombies attack. Now this loser has to lead his small group of friends and family to safety while battling the undead. Will his years of experience playing video games and slacking off really help him to save those he cares about? Is his neighborhood bar the haven that he hopes it will be? And will he ever learn to grow up and get his life together? So Connor, this is your chance. This is your opportunity to finally sit down and watch this movie that your mom has been telling you that you need to watch for a long time. Did you finally listen to your mom? Did you finally watch this movie? I sure did. And <laughs> let me just say, before I get into like the movie, Universal's 4K disc of this movie looks and sounds very, very good. It might not seem like it because this is like kind of lower-ish budget movie, mm -hmm. the film grain and it all looks so good, the colors especially. So they did a great job. So shout out to Universal. <laughs> <laughs> they don't give us money, but if they want to, they can. Yeah, yeah. Free plug, we'll take the money. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, Shaun of the Dead was a, a very interesting experience because I know several people where this is their favorite comedy. This is in their top 10 favorite movies ever. And in a, a few cases, I know people where this is their favorite movie. And so okay. it's kind of hard for me to not have that in my head while I'm watching it. And as I was watching it for the first half to two acts of the movie. I was amused and I was very clearly enjoying it. It's a very likable movie, but there was that part at the back of my brain going, but what's substantial about this? Why do people really respond to this? Even all these like 15, 16 years later. And uh, then we get to the final act. And I think as like a film watcher, I have fallen into this trap. And I think 
Some people do. I think this is kind of an unconscious thing, but I think about 15, 20 minutes into a movie, I feel like I can understand the movie's trajectory. I feel like by that point, a movie has revealed enough of itself to you as an audience member that you feel comfortable knowing where it's going to go. And Shaun of the Dead really kind of, it's thoughtful and it has a very close attention to detail all the way through. But what it's ultimately saying, it really holds off until its final act. And that final 30 or so minutes is perfect. And it honestly made me look back on the movie I had watched with, you know, it's amusing, but maybe a little slight and it, it felt a lot more significant. And now like, I get why this is like some people's favorite movie. Like I get why this is, I absolutely get why this is in people's favorite comedies. It's great. I think that is a very fair critique because a lot of the movie sets itself up for, like you said, you kind of know where it's going. And even the end where it gets to where you think it's going it doesn't in a respectful way, and it also leads back to the things we informs on before. You got somebody who does not have his life together, and this is an opportunity for the world to crash down around him, and will he actually survive? Will he actually make it? And does he actually change as a character? And the film does speak to that. It says, yes, he does change, but he doesn't. He learns what that he doesn't want to compromise exactly who he is, but he will to improve and he will make the changes that he deems necessary for the time. And it shows that he is smarter and more capable than people give him credit for. But he is also exactly what people give him credit for. <laughs> <laughs> Packages all of those things together well. It sounds like then it did match up to your expectations by the end of it. It did. And what's also interesting is that I, I've seen enough of Edgar Wright's other films to where it sort of feels like he has this career long, it's like this aching understanding of slackers, but also this call to action to make something, to, to grow past. And it's like, you, you don't lose who you are, but you can still be who you are and live a more fulfilling and enriching life to your society and your friends around you. It's really heartfelt. I, I liked it a lot. And being familiar with Edgar Wright's other movies, it made me like it even more. Yeah. I guess we just kind of go in and talk about it. We should talk about the centerpiece here. The centerpiece of this movie is friendships and relationships. That's really what it's about. It's a zombie movie about relationships. And I guess you could argue that all zombie movies are about relationships because <laughs> it's whether you trust people, it's how much you trust people, it's where you realize that we are in this together and we better like each other. But for this, we've got a lot of different relationships that are occurring here. And the number one, of course, is going to be between the two best friends. We got Sean and Ed. You love Edgar Wright's films. We've seen Simon Pegg and Nick Frost in a lot of movies together. They've got a great relationship. They've got great chemistry together. And it, I mean, what do you think about how they work together and how they fit into this film? They're, they're amazing. I just want to throw that out there first and foremost. They're amazing. And since the last year or so, I've been kind of delving back into classic 
comedies. I've watched a little bit of Marx Brothers. I've even watched some like old duos like Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire musicals. Like kind of, and and they have that sort of chemistry where they each play into a type, and their their friendship is also of a type. But in this movie, and I'm I, I don't know if I've actually seen a lot of their collaborations. I just know of them as a duo. But the way they sort of roll with that dynamic, it's it's cool because it's not just a couple of friends you can relate to. I mean, I I can relate to them, but there's something deeper to it where you know there they are characters beneath that familiar dynamic and when it comes to sean i buy why he is not moving forward with his life because ed is funny Mm -hmm. when you put you know the opening scene you just kind of surround ed this dynamic you put liz there then all of a sudden ed's a little less funny ed's a little less you know his irreverence I don't know, like the dynamic, it, it puts him under a magnifying glass or you put Peter yeah. Serafinowicz there and all of a sudden he's a little bit more annoying and you feel that sort of cringe, awkward feeling that that Sean does. And I don't know, like the way it, it utilizes that dynamic that like I, you know, I can see through the classic Simon Pegg, Nick Frost collaboration. I can still through that see their characters as well. I think you've said it. We, we do have friends like that. We've both been through that time in our lives where we have surrounded ourselves with people we may have a roommate or a friend like that we got that one person that we find to be funny we find to be hilarious you see that dynamic and we're the judging people that are judging this relationship but he is happy with this relationship is his life falling down because of it is it our place to say anything different no but it's asking those questions that's the big dynamic of the film is, Sean, your life is horrible. You're, you've got to get your life in order. Number one thing, cut Ed loose. But you can't because he's your best friend. I like how the movie uses zombies to put that dynamic to the test. And I like where it ultimately arrives. Change, even though it might seem like a slight consequence or a, a slight inconvenience, I should say, it does in a way feel like the end of the world. And because, you know, this is using a friendship to really communicate this idea, but this movie is, it's about being complacent and allowing Mm -hmm. yourself to just sort of, well, become a zombie in your daily day-to-day life. And it's, it's taking the Dawn of the Dead societal critique and just sort of applying it to a friendship. And what I like the most is where this movie leaves off with that, which is you can still have that, but it's in his barn, right? Like I was talking about this with my brother uh, who sells you comic books. And I want to cite him because I could not agree more with this is he said that the idea that there is a day after the apocalypse, Mm -hmm. it's a small touch, but it's kind of profound and it's great. Looking at the pedigree of where this film comes from, because this film leans heavily on every single zombie movie that's been made before it. And it informs many of the zombie movies made after it. It does provide something that a lot of them don't. It provides that day after. I can see exactly what your brother's talking about. We don't get that with a lot of the classic zombie films. In fact, it's better with those films because it leaves off with, we don't know what happens to these people. They've gone into the forest. We hear noises. They're dead. It's dawn of the dead followed by day of the dead. Mm -hmm. The other movies will speak to it, but then the movies stop. And then you have night of the living dead. And you have all these things that they end at that certain spot. And we don't know what's going to go on next because we want that mystery. In this, no, we need to make sure that the relationships have successfully 
survive this apocalypse. The ones that, that matter and the ones that were not good or were caustic have fallen apart or have been destroyed in some circumstances. We also learn some things as well throughout the relationships. Let's talk briefly, if you don't mind, about the other kind of part of the triangle of this relationship mess sandwich that we've got going on here. And that's with Liz and Sean, because Sean is trying to have an adult relationship with a woman, and she has had enough of him. And so we start off with him failing and losing the relationship and then having to win it back with the apocalypse. What do you think about that relationship and what it says about relationships as a whole as you're going from the immature relationship of a young 20-year-old male into an adult relationship with a woman? I, I liked it a lot. And I, what I liked so much about it is that Liz isn't the most mature person either. Like she lives with flatmates as well. And I think like what's a lovely little touch of adolescence that these people still hold on to is at the end when she says, well, no one wants to like, is it, it's either her or Sean, but one of them says no one wants to die single. And they both kind of go, yeah, let's, let's, okay, we're together. Even though we think we're going <laughs> to die in four seconds. That's, that's kind of adolescent, but it's, it's yeah. a real feeling. And she still has that. And, you know, she is still willing, even though Sean has done nothing but let her down time and time again. When he says he's got a plan, she still puts her trust in him. Maybe that's a little juvenile, but like she's not the most mature person ever. Breaking up with Sean is hard for her to do. The The movie doesn't make her look bad either, though. It does. I mean, but I like that it shows her as a full person who is sweet and nice. And maybe that's her fatal flaw is that she's been too sweet and too nice over the time. But she, even though they, they get together at the end and they, they both kind of mature in, in their own ways, she is still a sweet and nice person who now has a little bit more backbone, I think. And, you know, mm -hmm. what? Sean brings something out in her and she brings out something in Sean. And it, it could have been so easy to make her either the harpy or to be her, the adult who is only like, I don't know. It, it has a, it has a believable nuance that that is present here that uh, they didn't, they, they could have easily not had. Recently, I started to rewatch Buffy the Vampire Slayer and I'm watching it with a lot of critiques that I found online. And I'm kind of tracking something very interesting about what is maturity and what is adolescence, you know, and, and maturity and growing up is stopping to think, thinking just about yourself and to think more about others as well and being more emotionally open to other people. And I think that's one of the reasons why we do see Sean grow a little bit. You could say that he's incredibly selfish at the beginning of the film because he just likes doing his own thing and he only thinks really about himself by the end of the film he is the one the reason why he's the leader and why he's so successful is he is the most unselfish person there he is thinking about everybody yes his plan's not great because his plan is we are going to the winchester he is a slave to his own passions about what he loves and what he knows and he doesn't know anything else so he has to rely on that but he is trying to make sure that they're all safe. He is trying to protect them. And he is trying to emotionally connect with them all at the same time as well. So he's less selfish by the end. You've got David who loves Liz, and that's his only emotion. I love Liz, but I'm also using Diane. He's incredibly selfish. And Diane's selfish because she just loves David. What he thinks is a selfish person with his stepdad, Philip, well, then he finds out that Philip is also emotionally mature because Philip actually cares about him. Oh, you know, he learns from that. You know, he, his mom cares about him and his friends and she cares about Liz. 
he sees these people who care about other people and people follow him because he cares about them. So I think that there's also a bit of that as well is you have somebody who is developing a more emotionally stable persona by growing up throughout this by recognizing how he can improve with Liz and how he can develop and have a good relationship with Ed along with everybody else. That is a very good point. And, um, Wow. <laughs> no, that, that's great. Trust me, I just came up with that. I, I, I'm not going to write a thesis on it or anything. <laughs> well, yeah, because, well, okay, I, I'm sorry. My, my brain's swimming a little bit. <laughs> my, my first thing I want to say is, how great is Bill Nighy in this? I wish I had something to respond to that with, but I'm just kind of <laughs> pondering it right now. Oh, dear, this is not how podcasting supposed to work. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I can edit. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> I it, like I said, I didn't mean to hit you with that. I just thought that it, that's another way to really contextualize this relationship and a lot of relationships in this film mm-hmm. is there's also a bit of a, a, a growing journey that we have our main character on as well. And I think the root of that journey comes from like why he becomes you know more selfless as it goes along is that he is becoming less complacent. And yes, I can say that you know not not too long ago, I mean just before the pandemic hit, I was sort of in a place where I went to work every day. Good job. It wasn't like a dead end job, but, and I was, I was in a relationship and things were fine, but like in both work and in my personal passion and in my relationship, there was, there was just a lot of stagnation that I was becoming aware of. And it's, I was a lot like Sean where I knew I had stagnated, but the comfort of the familiar is what allowed me to not really break further. You think another day I will be able to do this, but right now I want to be comfortable. And after enough right now, I want to be comfortable. You're 10 months later and you you know, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? And what's great is that this, sometimes it takes the end of the world. Sometimes it takes an emergency. Sometimes it takes a a flashpoint for all of these things in your lives you need to just address. Uh, But you become less stagnant, but like the more stagnant and complacent you become, it's almost like this numbing effect, right? Like you become like one thing after the other during complacency and comfort starts to slip by your brain. Oh man, I wish I would have done that. Oh, that's right. You did mention that. I totally forgot. I'm so sorry. And all of a sudden you're like Tom Holland's uh, Spider-Man where you're always apologizing for something all the time, or, you know, you're Mm -hmm. like a teenager or you're like Sean in this. And what I like so much is the way the movie presents that in a thoughtful way that still holds people, uh, uh, Sean's feet to the fire. And that's what the flowers that yes. was a great detail where he buys the flowers for his mom because Bill Nighy, who's wonderful in this movie, brings them to him or, or tells him he should bring some flowers. Yes. And so he does. He buys flowers. But then because he didn't plan properly, now the flowers are going to go to Liz. Uh, hey, Liz, here are some flowers. Yeah, I got them for my mom, but they're yours. And then she dumps him. And now he is walking around and moping and getting drunk with Ed at the Winchester. Now these flowers have come to symbolize this lost relationship. And when they're drunk at the end of the night, he throws them in the garbage. But wait, the next morning he needs to go and see his mom. Where are those flowers in the garbage? That is such a perfect way of demonstrating the the lack of forward thought and the, mm-hmm. like how everything becomes urgent because you just 
are so numb. That's what stagnation is. That's what being complacent yeah. is. And it is such a keen eye for detail that Wright and Simon Pegg, who wrote the screenplay together, had. Wonderful stuff. Well, you also see it too, that he goes through the motions of life. Mm-hmm. He just walks to the store to get his, the stuff in the morning, missing the fact that there is zombies on the street. There's all these accidents that there's blood on the front of the freezer. Missing all of this because, like you said, just that stagnant tunnel vision where you're blocking out everything else. You're not doing any forward thinking. You're not being aware of anything at all. There's a lot of that in this movie. And, and you're right. The small attention to detail, the small little things that they do, it's hilarious because it's just have enough of a mirror back on this certain population. You were mentioning you've got a lot of friends, you've got a lot of people who have this as their top movies. I would say that there is a a perfect circle of people that I could probably talk about that would fit inside that group of people who find this based upon when they were born, based upon kind of how they grew up, some of their interests, and probably living through their own times like this where they were ed or where they were sean or where they were liz and so they recognize themselves as mirrors in these characters and say yeah there but for the grace of god go i where i would have had been in similar situations with this and it's funny because it's funny i mean we talked a little bit about bill nye as the stepdad and 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 the relationship with you know his mom you know of course he's not gonna like his stepdad but then we find out that bill nye is a good guy who's just trying to help Sean along and make sure that he's going to succeed in something in his life. You know, he gets <laughs> killed too easily, but we do get his car. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, Okay, it was very, one of my favorite parts is where Bill Nye has that. I've always like I've always wanted the best for you, Sean. Like the the music <laughs> kicks in, <laughs> on a dime, and Sean is all of a sudden regretful. I that makes me laugh. I I thought it was that was a wonderful little touch. Sean is put in a position where he early on we find out that he's got a plan. He he develops this plan after multiple iterations of saying this is what we're going to do, and you know end up at the bar drinking a pint. But this is the plan, and we have to follow the plan if we're going to succeed, and that includes killing philip <laughs> and and so that the regret comes in there and that regret comes in a few other places where okay we lose philip and then you know we make it to the bar and everything's safe and everything's safe and then we lose mom you know mom gets bitten and you know i have to shoot you know mom's gonna get shot and he's the one who ends up shooting his mom we lose david and we lose diane and and then of course ed at the end but we're not gonna lose ed so he makes you, you see him struggling in comical ways, but we see him struggling with what he has to go through and the choices he has to make in this horrific situation that's just ridiculous based upon the circumstances. You mentioned one of your favorite scenes with Bill Nye. What other scenes did you really enjoy in this film? Oh, man. Okay, so for starters, the funniest lion in this movie, this, this isn't a whole scene, but it is a lion. When Ed shouts into the phone, we're coming to get you, Barbara. I, I laughed so hard at that, uh, harder than I probably should have. It's, it's such a simple, like people have probably said that just like since this 1978, but like, mm-hmm. I never heard it before. I thought that was hilarious. And here's one thing I will say though, that I was very happy about. This is a comedy movie. 
And the thing about comedies that people like is they quote them and they yes. quote them a lot. And if there's if it's, if it's a comedy with a lot of great moments, it's a pretty healthy assumption. You're going to be familiar with a lot of the comedy scenes before you actually watch the movie. I cannot tell you how happy I was that so many of these jokes and so many of these scenes I was not familiar with. <laughs> Thank God, because I laughed so much. The first scene with the zombies in the backyard is so funny. That is my kind of sense of humor where you do have like some exaggerated gore when that, when he pushes that woman over and just the first zombie death in the movie and she falls onto the an umbrella holder for like a lawn table or right. something. And she falls over and gets impaled in it. I laughed so hard at that. And then when they do the quick little re- reveal pan where there's the big zombie and they just sort of stare at him, that was great. And then of course them throw in di- uh, records all of that's so good. Yeah. Go- going through and figuring out which records they should throw because you can't throw <laughs> the good ones. And, and, and having an argument with your best friend about what is good music and what's bad music because we all have been there. <laughs> oh, yeah. My, I, my friends would throw my entire collection of CDs, you know. <laughs> when he says a uh, Batman soundtrack and he pauses for a minute and says, throw it. <laughs> <laughs> no, if it were me, I would say no, 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 no. We're 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 listening to Bat Dance when we're taking out zombies. It's all right. We'll put it on after the Queen. <laughs> Kill <Yeah>. the Queen. <laughs> Kill the Queen. <laughs> the jukebox. The jukebox. Are there any scenes that really didn't work for you as you were kind of going through this? That's that's one of those things because like I would say there aren't any bad scenes in this movie. I, I think in some way it's all successful. I would say though, the stretch where they need to get from Liz's flat to the Winchester, th- that's the part that isn't, it's not bad, but it's the most familiar and they're able to get the least amount of create creative, like plays on zombie tropes. There's like the, mm-hmm. all right, everybody, we got to walk like a zombie bit. And I've seen that like four or five times at this point. But sure. that being said, it's still a nice moment for Diane to have an acting moment because that character is, as she is called in a derogatory way, a, a, a failed actress. But she gets yes. to coach people in acting and it's a nice little moment for Diane. But that moment does, or that sequence of the movie does sort of have like the most I don't want to say tired, but most familiar plays on zombie tropes. Yeah, you've got the scene where they're walking along and they run into their mirror images. <laughs> so funny, though. Uh, where, <laughs> which, that's a good one. I, I thought that's a good, it's like, you know, of course, it's one of his ex-girlfriends. Like, oh, hey, you know, how you doing? And, they, and they're going the exact opposite directions. Uh, you have the callback to the other movies that he's done where he's jumped over the fences. And this is time where he jumps over the fence and the fence <laughs> collapses because he's got a shortcut. But yeah, you you do have some of those those tropes that are also put in there that don't quite work. Or, or they work, but we've seen them enough. What else did you really enjoy in this film, though? I mean, what... what you know, we talked about most of the characters in relation to their relationships, but is there anybody else you want to talk about or any other scene you want to bring I up I do here? want to highlight that last stretch of the movie in the Winchester when it goes full zombie apocalypse. So first of all, Don't Stop Me Now. It might not be my favorite Queen yes. song, but it is my favorite hit song that Queen has ever done. You now, Queen is one of my favorite bands. So you put any Queen in your in your movie, I'm, I'm likely to be down with it. Maybe the best use of Don't Stop Me Now ever, because it 
It's rocks. Can we just appreciate that there is a number of movies where you drop a Queen song in there that hasn't been in rotation for years, and all of a sudden it's at the top of the charts because it fits so perfectly into what the scene is selling. I'm thinking mm-hmm. Wayne's World and Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm thinking this. You, you see it a lot. Uh, you can even say Revenge of the Nerds, you know, with We Are the Champions. There's a lot of these things where you put the Queen song in there and you can see the scene in the movie because it just sticks out. And this is one of those great examples. Of yeah, it. when when the jukebox gets like scratched or knocked over or something, I was like, oh, no, no, I wanted, I wanted to listen to more of that. <laughs> Everything about that last little stretch is great. You're seeing Sean desperately trying to hold on to all of the things he it's like he likes and these relationships he he cares about, but it's almost like a child. Like I, I want to have all of it. I want to have my best friend and I want to have my mom and I want to have Liz and, I, and, I, and, and it's all sort of being slowly taken from him by the zombies. He has that great monologue when he's holding the gun and he's talking about british john cusack whose name i can't remember in this movie david yeah he looks just like john cusack to me anyways <laughs> yep okay yep 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 uh that that big monologue he has uh, where you know he's just talking about how david's always had it for liz and how he feels like everybody wants him to fail and it's it's just it's so good and it sums up that character in the movie in a way that when you go for a moment like that you always risk just explaining the movie to your audience and this does that in a way where it feels like the character is making these realizations and is confronting these things in his life finally and being able to verbalize it makes him understand it now that he's hearing it out loud and i thought all of that stuff was wonderful i liked what you're saying about him trying to hold on to all the things in his life as this disaster is occurring and it made me think of somebody who's running out of the house holding on to all of their personal possessions and they keep falling out of their hands their house is burning down they have to choose what the most important thing is you can't save it all you're not going to be able to save it all. You have to figure out what is the most important thing and what you can let go of at the end of the day and what sacrifices you can make. So I, I do agree with that. And I think that it goes with that other idea that we're saying is that this is a movie about maturing and about how those relationships have to mature. He has to mature. He has to make those tough decisions. He can't just hope everything turns out for the best because you're going to lose it all then. I had mentioned earlier that this is absolutely looking at Romero and and it takes the societal critique of something like Dawn of the Dead and applies it to and individualizes it, right? It kind of makes it smaller. That being said, the very end of this movie does have probably the most biting societal critique I've seen in a zombie movie since Dawn of the Dead. I <laughs> mean, think? it's amazing. I think now I was born in 1995. So like this was coming out during my childhood and this movie comes out in a very small but significant point in time. And that is the internet existed. Like YouTube was not the most popular website ever. And I don't even think it really existed yet, but I don't know if like someone like my little brother will even be aware of how important and influential reality television was from like yeah. 2000 to 2007 reality television kind of owned television and i i don't like now it's just called youtube now it's just twitch now it's right. just what we're doing podcasting right. reality television like american idol i don't think 
like people like even five years younger than me are going to be aware of how big of a deal that was. When you levy critiques and stuff at something like reality television, it, because stuff like YouTube and Twitch and and you know social media uh, personalities and whatnot, it's it, it's just a, a a purer form of reality television. It's levying a critique at reality television is effectively levying a critique at what I've just been talking about. Like the the, the so yeah. at the end when they've just taken up all the zombies and are now basically putting them in the place of the reality TV show contestants and all that stuff, or isn't there like a part where the military are shooting, like using them for the gunning practice? Yeah. All of that. It is a gag in this movie, but it is primed with so much societal critique. I would say Romero would be proud. I've seen some of Romero's later zombie movies. They are not, they are not half as sharp as that one joke in this movie is. It is, I, I, I want to give a huge round of applause to Edgar Wright for that. The other part of it is then you have zombie rights and then you have the second <laughs> joke after it, which is the inevitable conclusion to that. But yeah, you're right because there was that specific moment and we're talking post 9-11. We are dealing with this catastrophic event that changed the world and changed how we view people and how we interact with people. And we're talking about that. We're talking about reality television. I, you you were born in 95. 95 is my first year I went to college. So, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> for me, I remember dial up, you know, you're talking about no YouTube. I'm talking about it taking literally an hour for a picture, a comedy picture to download on my computer with low internet dial up speed as we're waiting for the joke picture to slowly download. <laughs> so yeah, there was this specific moment here where you didn't have anything else besides what you were seeing on TV. And what you're seeing on TV was that reality television. And reality was scary outside and we can box it up and put it into these neat little survivor categories and American Idol categories and what have you. And then you have something like, okay, well now zombies are part of the world, so how do we deal with them? Well, that's a cheap form of entertainment. We don't have, we're already cutting the, the cost of entertainment value with reality television stars. Let's cut it again because we don't have to pay these zombies and everybody can laugh at them and it's okay because they're not real people. And the way humanity sort of adapts mm-hmm. the way like one day's tragedy just becomes entertainment or memes in, you know, in 2022, like that, that's the way people compartmentalize yep. or like process that becomes a joke Yeah, when it was so real the day before. (laughs) I am so glad that I've had this conversation with you about this film. I think that this is going back to it myself after so long and remembering how good it is and how much it still speaks to what we're going through today. I mean, even with pandemic, you know, every zombie movie looks a little creepier after we've gone through a (laughs) pandemic, but I'm so glad that I've had an opportunity to talk to you about this because it, it is a good film. And it's a lot of fun and it's funny. It's a black satire. It utilizes the horror comedy element, which the two things go together. You want to laugh. You want to laugh to scare away the dark, but you want to be scared. So you got something you can laugh at. It's a very hard, tight rope to walk. And there are only a few movies that do it well, but this is one Mm -hmm. of them. I have to ask the question, how many full bags of popcorn would you give this film? One to five, no halfsies. Hmm. I cannot go the full five. Mm-hmm. I, I know I've basically done nothing but praise this movie <laughs> for like an hour. Uh-huh. I get that. I get that. You know, but about a five, I don't know, on a personal level, that is like, you know, when I watch Sunrise 
mm-hmm. for the first time where it was like a profound experience. This isn't like my favorite comedy ever. This isn't what about Bob or Wayne's world or something like that. <laughs> For me, I mean, yeah. it's it's it, the filmmaking is incredible, but I still really like this movie a lot, and I cannot wait to watch it again and again through the years. So this might go up, but mm-hmm. for right now, I will give it four bags of popcorn out of five. I am right there with you. I I think that this is above solid movie. This is a very strong four. There's a little bit of Shakespeare that's not in this film that would get it to that five level, <laughs> but. I mean, it's darn close. It's, it's getting to that perfection area for me too. So I can, I can definitely, definitely agree with you. Before we're out of here though, is there anything that you do online that you want people to check out? Are you just kind of private and you'd rather people just bug your brother? Well, I mean, you can't bug my brother if you'd like. Yeah. But if you do want to know more about my thoughts on movies, I am on Letterboxd at Connor Nielsen. Now that name has like three problem areas. Uh, So it's C-O-N-N-E-R-N-I-E-L-S-E-N. So (laughs) uh, you can pretty much find me anywhere uh, there, but I'm, I'm pretty much only active on Letterboxd. I might be doing stuff on Twitch, but I probably i've not committed to that so for right now you you need to get out of that zombie area (laughs) and you need to break free and do that thing to get out of that rut in your life and do something else that's true that is absolutely (laughs) true but for right now that rut is called letterboxd (laughs) (laughs) well i i would love to have you back on to do some more movies and we will definitely get you back on at some point in time because i have enjoyed this immensely i have too i would love to come back i just watched american graffiti for the first time holy cow that movie rules (laughs) it's so friggin good i'd love to talk about that with anybody sometime (laughs) oh i i got some more movies that i need to figure out if you've seen or not we need to go through my collection at some point in time anyways you can find me over on Twitter at mmuckabout, or you can check out my other podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, which I host with my tethered shed zombie, Jeff. <laughs> now, if you would like to be on the show, please feel free to contact me. You can reach me at jeffandrickpresent, all one word, at gmail.com. Big thank you to the Longbox Crusade Network for letting me use this wonderful attic that's way away from any zombies. I mean, it's got... I can close the door. They can't get through that. It's on the second floor. It's above the second floor, actually, so the zombies can't get up here, and it's fantastic. But I I love it for that reason and also to broadcast my show. I'd also like to thank the members who help support the network and to keep the electricity on so that I can zap the zombies as they're kind of moving up the stairs, too, because that also works. Not too many people know that. If you would like to support the network and give us some more money to, you know, buy zombie-killing things, head on over to Patreon and search for The Longbox Crusade. Now grab some popcorn, make sure you got your bat with you, pull up a seat, because we'll be back soon with another episode. The music for this episode is Fall Back by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at josephlin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9. 